Good morning, church. It's good to have you all here in a warm place, worshiping together. I, uh, I know I mentioned last week that the Olympics provided stories of great triumph and perseverance. And if you hear some of the backdrops of these stories, you probably sit there and think, wow, that's inspiring, right? Well, let's just do this. Let's just now let's flip the coin because the other side of the coin is sometimes there's some stories which are sad to hear. They, we see the dark side of humanity and it's like, oh, I didn't want to hear about that story or, oh yeah, I saw that. That was pretty ugly, you know. And, uh, and I sort of saw that this week as uh, they had women's figure skating came to a conclusion. Now, you're probably asking, Rex, why are you watching women's figure skating? That's a great question. Because here's the thing, if nobody's going to get checked into the side of the wall or, you know, something like that, why would I watch? That's a great question. Because I'm trying to be the best loving husband I can to sit there with my wife who enjoys figure skating. I fail miserably and I try not to look her direction right now. Um, but on occasion, I will sit there and, and watch. And I actually admit, I sort of got caught up in this one uh, because of what happened. And uh, what it came down to was... Uh, the young lady who placed second and received the silver medal, um, she was mad. She was mad that she did not get gold, and she felt she deserved first place, not second place. And I and, and she did not even want to. She didn't want to talk to anybody. She's in the background, and she was speaking in a foreign language. And the person was commentating, was saying, "She's she's saying that second is nothing. She got second. Second's nothing." And it's like, wow. She couldn't celebrate with her teammate who got first place. Sorry, I can't celebrate with you how awesome you did. And her opponent who got third. Sorry, I don't want to celebrate with you that you're one less than me. I, no. I got second, second, nothing. And I'm sitting there going, wow, poor sportsmanship. This is the part where we look at humanity and say, ew, it gets a little dark, right? And then I thought about it and I thought, you know what you reminded me of? People who pow. Yeah, a bunch of powders. Now, I'm sure nobody in this room has ever pouted. Not once. Your kids are perfect. You're like, you can't have that piece of candy. I'm sure they didn't pout. They're like, okay, I'll have it another time, right? No, we, I think we all know what it means to pout. We've seen these faces. We can look in the mirror and see them sometimes. And I know I can, but it's, it's one of those things. It's like, no, oh, pout, 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 right? Okay, so here's the thing. If you're visiting today, it's the first time you're here. We are going through these, this minor prophet. His name is Jonah. And if we think of the life of, of Jonah, and we look through the opening chapters, and Jonah is a prophet of God. So it's like, here's a godly man. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no. Pow, right? He disobeys, heads off to Tarshish, gets on a boat. Gets on a boat, goes below deck, going to have a little snooze. Well, they get out to sea, and a storm comes, so bad of a storm, that the sailors are panicking. They wake him up, and, and like, what's going on? He goes, it's my fault. Just throw me overboard. And like, no, we're going to be act more godly than you. We're going to actually try to keep this ship sailing. They can't, so they toss him overboard. He gets, the storm stops. They worship God. He gets swallowed by a fish. He prays in the belly of a fish. It taxes him to shore, spits him out three days later. And now he's on that shore and he heads to Nineveh. He gets to this great city, a huge city, and he does what God told him to do. Preach, tell everybody you're going to be destroyed. You got 40 days. And, 
And he does that. And then the amazing thing is, is that they all repent. They're all like, we're sorry. We're sorry, God. You know, it's, it's like, wow, this is, this is excellent, right? And then you turn to chapter 4, and all of a sudden, you have this pouting prophet. He's like, God's not going to destroy him. It's like, what's going on here? I mean, we have three chapters of, of a roller coaster ride of this man, and, and we're wondering what's happening. Instead of the repentance of Nineveh, Nineveh giving Jonah a reason to celebrate, he's angry. We don't get it, right? You would have thought that after seeing all these people turn in repentance, he would have said, man, this is awesome. This is going to go down in history as the greatest revival of all time. Somebody's going to write a book about this, and and it's going to be huge, and we'll talk about it for ages, and, and I'm going to be bigger. If there was ever a guy by the name of, I don't know, Billy Graham, I'll be bigger than him, you know. And it's like, this is super, right? But he didn't do that, did he? If we look at chapter 4, and a strange thing takes place. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jonah, and we'll read through the whole chapter. It's a short chapter, as they've all been short. And let's read starting in verse 1. This change of plans, that's the repentance, that's the revival, greatly upset Jonah, and he became angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn your back from destroying people. Verse 3 goes on to say, Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Verse 5 goes on, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city. He made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. The Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's it. That's the book. It's amazing that these ungodly people, they got rid of their sins, right? They got rid of their evil and the averted disaster upon their city. And now they're in harmony with God. It's like, we're good now. We're going to worship this God. And chapter 3 ends with a hope of, of celebration. It's like, let's just throw a big party. 
Let's just, let's write this down as one of the greatest revivals of all time. But instead, chapter 4 opens up with this very alone, displeased, pouting prophet. Now, the word seems to have multiple translations here when it says he was displeased. It includes a translation of being evil. The literal translation of the opening sentence is this. It was a great evil to Jonah. It was very evil. That's one way it could be translated. Other translations were meant to, to burn, to kindle, to ignite. Which I think we can relate to that more because Jonah was hot. He was so angry. The absence of the catastrophe that he expected to come upon Nineveh, that became more of a catastrophe in his own heart and mind. And it just burned with emotion. So Jonah's going to pray. Now remember, first he prayed in the belly of a fish. And if you ever look through this chapter, you're going to see a lot of parallels often throughout. One and three, two and four, you look at these chapters. And here he prays once in the belly of a fish. Now he's praying to the Lord. But he prayed for repentance. Now he's praying in anger. And he spills the beans as to why he's mad. He says right there in the scripture, he goes, this is why I didn't want to leave my country. Because I know the kind of God you are. God, I... See, it wasn't, I, I knew you were going to save him. And I didn't want that. It's what it comes down to. It's what he's saying. He describes God as this, gracious, full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Don't those sound like great attributes of a God that we worship? Everybody in this room, are you okay with a God that we worship who is those things? Gracious, full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Are you, are you okay with worshiping a guy like that? Like, yes. Of course we are, right? Now, some believe, though, that this, what Jonah uh, prayed to God, comes from what Moses and God had a conversation back in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, we read this. Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow in anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. There it is. That sounds very familiar. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. It's like that's all Jonah mentions, right? But he forgot the rest. Look at that last part. God goes on to say, but I do not excuse the guilty. Ooh. <laughs> See, he is a God of love, but like we talked about last week, he is also a holy and just God. And he does not excuse the guilty. Jonah left that important part out, of course. But we also see that as Jonah prays, he uses the phrase unfailing love, or some translations, steadfast love, which is also translated mercy. The first time he was so thankful to God for his mercy, chapter 2, when he, um, he was saved from drowning, Thank you for your mercy. He was so thankful for the steadfast love of this God. And he, then he mentions now, he's like, but God, thank you for your mercy. But why are you sharing it with these people? Right? He concludes his prayer by saying, you know what? It's better for me just to die than live. Wow. Wow. He's so angry, he wants to die. Jonah is expressing his anger against God, and he's using his honest, and he's being honest about his feelings, which I believe that's good, right? I think it's good that we, we share honestly with God our feelings, because here's the thing. We can't hide them from God. 
I think we do a good job hiding them from each other. We can come in every Sunday morning. How are you doing? Oh, good. Good. How's your... Good. Yeah, good. And we know that we have just probably lied to people because we know there were some not-so-good moments this past week, right? But we're like, oh, good. We can hide them. We, our spouse, how are you doing? You doing okay? I'm good. No, you're not. We, we, we can maybe start picking up on our spouses a little bit better, but still there's moments we try to hide. With God, I'm sorry, there's no hiding. He knows how you feel. So why not go and express it, right? That's what Jonah's doing. But here's the thing. Just because you're mad at God doesn't mean he deserves it. Can I say that again? Just because you're mad at God doesn't mean he deserves your anger. It may not be his fault. Most likely isn't his fault. Let me give you an example. You're walking through your living room in the middle of the night, and uh, somebody left something out, an Audubon, a chair, and you stub your toe. Like, <clears throat> now, guys and girls act differently. Girls are like, <clears throat> and you, you whimper maybe, maybe you cry, and you sit down. Guys are like, ah, dumb, dumb chair. You know, we, it's the chair's fault. You know, we've got to blame somebody. Now, regardless of the fact that it was dark, I could have turned on the lights. I could have been paying attention. I might have been looking at something and, you know, and I, but it's the chair's fault, right? I think sometimes we do that with God. If we were just paying attention, if we were walking in the light of the spirit, we probably wouldn't be stumbling all over the place. But we get angry. Something bad happens and got to blame somebody. So we're going to yell at God, right? And it's like Jonah in this moment, he's like, I'm so frustrated. God, I knew you were that kind of God. Jonah was was grateful for life. We see that. When he was in the pit of the fish, he was grateful to be alive, and he was grateful to be saved. He was thankful that his soul was revived. But here's the thing. When God extends that same kind of mercy to the people of Nineveh, Jonah's not cool with that. Not, Not one bit. He's like, you're going to show them that kind of, the mercy you showed me, you're going to show them? Take my life. He's a confusing man, isn't he? Jonah is, is struggling with an issue here, and I think it's an issue that all of us, if you're in here in this room this morning, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You place your faith in him. You are a Christian that's on a journey growing daily. You are going to have the same question sometime. You're going to have the same issue sometime. And this is the struggle, the issue that we all have, and that is dealing with the sovereignty of divine grace. It's like, to whom should God show grace? We're all going to struggle with that question. We're okay that God shows us grace and mercy, right? But what about the, those other people? It's, it's like this. Let's say you know how to do things the right way. Okay? You've got it nailed down. And then you watch some people over here that are doing things not the way you do it, not the right way. They're cutting corners. They are cheating. They, they, they maybe don't even come close to the way you would do it, but they're being blessed and you're not. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Maybe as a coworker, a teammate, family member, where um, they, they didn't study? Oh, but they got the A. And I studied all night long, and I, I didn't come close to an A. That person, like, I didn't read the chapter, and I got an A. It's like, that's just not fair. I've been working so hard, working so hard, but that guy gets to play in front of me. And I've watched them at practice. They're lazy. But coaches putting them in before me, that's not fair. At work, I did not get the promotion. I, 
I did everything that the boss wanted me to do. I, I worked. I put in extra hours. That person during lunch, I'm not going to tell you what they do. Matter of fact, they call in. They, they do all kinds of stuff that's just not right. How come they got the promotion I did? I don't get a promotion. I don't get the pat on the back. I don't get the attaboy, Rex. Have you, have you been there? Have you had those moments? I remember many times, many times in coaching when I had my team and I'm looking at my team, I'm going, hey, our team's doing, doing okay, but we're doing everything right. How come we're losing? I'm looking at that team. They do not do things right. They got poor sportsmanship. They, they just, they're, I've seen them cheat and they're, they're winning. God, it, it's not fair. That, that's what I'm talking about here. We, we sort of sit here and we think, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. We're living in a nation right now, a time and culture right now, in which we look around, if somebody's just a little bit different than us, we don't want to talk to them. We're going to unfriend them. Well, first I'm going to talk about them. Then I'm going to unfriend them. And, and you know, it's sort of like, we're different, and I, we can't handle that. And that's sort of like what's going on with Jonah here. Jonah has tasted God's grace and mercy, but he doesn't want the people of Nineveh to taste it. I, I think it's okay for me to get grace. I think it's okay for me to receive mercy, but not them. Nope, nope. Now, it's important to remember, though, that this, this crazy little man, this little pouting man, he was a prophet of God. He was chosen by God. He was called by God. God gave him an assignment, and God made him a preacher, right? And it's like, so how can he, like this, act that way? Can I just say this? As people of God, we will have these moments if we've not already had them. Maybe multiple times. I don't know. There's another prophet. His name is Jeremiah. See, he wasn't the only one in the Bible that dealt with this. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 12, and some, sometimes you open up your Bible and you have like chapter, and then there's maybe a header across it in the ESV and, and I think in the NIV. Um, it says across chapter 12 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's complaint. Oh, we got another man of God who's complained. Well, what is his complaint? Well, it says here, chapter 12, it goes, Righteous are you, O Lord. When I complain, yet I would not plead my case before you. Jeremiah sort of establishes his, the nature of God. He understands who God is. And now having done that, he goes on to say, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the treacherous thrive? Why are evil people so happy? I'm living righteous. They're not. Why are they succeeding and I am not? Chapter 15, verse 17, he goes on to say this. I never joined the people in their merry feast. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems so as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Jeremiah is, is basically like this. He's like, hey, God, I haven't gone to the bar. I didn't go to the party. I stayed home while they were out partying up. And yet you're blessing them and not me. It's New Year's. I'm home alone. And everybody else is out there doing things. Who knows what they're doing? How come I'm not getting blessed for this? It's like, I'm going to go, like God, you're saying, come over and get a drink of water. And I come over to get a drink of water. And then it's a mirage. There's nothing there. It's like, oh, funny, God. You, you want me to do this, but yet I don't get anything in return. That's sort of like what Jeremiah is saying here. 
uses the questions of a prophet of God. And there are certain things when we look in the Bible, it's like it's, it's clear as a bell, right? It, there's a lot of clarity to certain things in the scripture. But then there are times when we open up God's word, it's like, I don't, I don't get it. These are moments, Jeremiah and Jonah, where it's like, God, I don't get it. And I'm going to tell you, church, you may not get it until the day you're in the presence of God. That's why we trust him. If everything was spelled out correctly, you wouldn't need faith. Because it's told right there. So I don't, I don't need to trust it, right? That's why we trust God. That's why we have faith. In Jonah's case, he's sort of like he has a standard for himself. And he has this, and then the standard for basically the people of Israel. But then he's got another standard for these other people of Nineveh. The enemies of God. In Jonah's mind, it was okay for God to forgive Jonah's disobedience. But it's not okay to forgive these people in their disobedience. Instead, if Jonah says, hey, hey, God, it's kind of like this, God, you know, I know you've been kind and compassionate towards me, and I really thank you for that. You got me out of the problem. I was about ready to drown. Thanks, God. Love your mercy. Love your grace. But I don't like the idea of that mercy and grace, that kindness and that compassion being shown to to these people over here. I mean, after all, God, it's the Assyrian power. They are the enemies of you, God. These are bad people. And I mean, you told me to pronounce judgment. I'm like, pronounce judgment? I'm on it. Hey, hey it's going to fall on you. And I had, I had fun walking through the city. It's going to fall on you. It's coming down. And so, uh, God, I thought you were bringing it down. But you're not. I didn't expect you to show compassion on these people. I just don't get it. God, they don't believe in you like I do. They don't believe in one God. They got a lot of gods. God, they they don't follow the laws that, you know, like Moses laid out. And they don't raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord like we do. God, you see how different we are? So maybe you should show grace and mercy differently. Just saying. Maybe that's how Jonah's heart was. And you think about that, that the question comes out, so why would you be merciful to them, God? Whenever we find ourselves thinking that way as Jonah did, it might be clear that we have forgotten what grace and mercy looks like that's been shown to us. Think about this. Who's deserving of grace? Isn't that like the ultimate oxymoron? Who deserves grace? What is grace? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So who deserves grace? Nobody does. That's why it's called grace. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And God says, I'm giving you both. Uh, Jonah, I'm sorry, you had a disobedient heart. Did you deserve to be rescued from the bottom of the sea? No. It's called grace. It's called mercy. You deserve to die. You didn't get that mercy. You got life. I gave you what you did not deserve. Jonah's angry with God and he's acting in a way that Jonah did not understand. He did not approve. And I think sometimes we can maybe be there. I mean, ask yourself, have you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been angry with God? You ever been angry with God because, you know, maybe he's acting in a way that you don't understand or approve. And again, for Christians, I'm sure it's happened to all of us in here. 
I'm, at some point in time, maybe you thought, hey, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I shall have an awesome marriage. My marriage isn't the greatest. So God, what's going on? Hey, God, I gave my life to you. Therefore, I should be an incredibly great parent that will raise up their kids. Parenting is hard. God, where you at? Maybe you thought, as a result of putting God first, you would be blessed with all kinds of things. And it's like, and I, I don't. My pockets are empty. I'm struggling with my job. I'm making ends meet. It's been difficult. God, I thought if following you meant I got blessed in all these things, and I'm not. And we get angry with God. And then we look around at other people and like, well, they look to be happy and they don't follow you. So why am I following you, God? Why am I worshiping you? That's sort of what's going on here. And, and we think because the Lord has failed to meet Jonah's expectation, Jonah decides, let's go pout. God says, oh, okay, Jonah, but I'm going to ask you this question. And it's a really good question. He says this, is it right for you to be angry about this? He didn't say, are you angry? He knows he's angry, but is it right to be angry? I don't know, is it right for us to be angry with God at times? It's a good question. It's understandable that on our journey, we will get angry at times. We will be sad at times. We'll express all kinds of emotions at times with God. It's going to happen because we're human. But is it right? And amazingly, even though Jonah had this, this bad attitude and he's very narrow-minded and was responding in the wrong way to God's kindness, God didn't write him off. Did you ever think about that? God provided a large fish to save him. And now he could easily say, you know what? I'm going to send a lion now to eat you. And I'm not saving you this time. This, this time, you're going to get eaten and digested. It's going to happen, all right? I mean, God could have very easily have said, I've had enough of your negative attitude. Wow. Aren't you glad that God is full of mercy and compassionate and grace? I mean, God, think about it. What if God sent a lion after us every time we disobeyed him. First of all, there'd be nobody up here preaching. Okay. Second of all, there probably wouldn't be anybody out here sitting because all of us have disobeyed at one point in time in our life. So we've all ran from God one way or another, right? We've rebelled against the Holy God. So if he treated us like that, there'd be none of us worthy to be alive, basically. God is merciful, gracious, compassionate. And he treats his servant Jonah here with patience and kindness. He wants them to bring him to a realization that, you know what's wrong here, Jonah? It's your attitude. We gotta work on this. We gotta work on this. Now, we read that Jonah exits the city. You gotta love this. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go make myself a little shelter. I'm gonna go out to the east side of the city. I'm gonna make my shelter. I'm gonna sit underneath it. I'm going to emotionally and physically cool off. I'm gonna pop the popcorn, sit back, and wait for the show. I'm gonna see what God does. He's expecting God to bring down fire on this city. He wants to see this. Well, in the meantime, God arranges, as we see, remember, God arranged the storm. God arranged the fish. Now God arranges here, it says, a plant to grow up. We don't know what kind of plant. It's just big, leafy, and provides shade, right? The day, the next day arrives, and God does, oh, God now arranges a worm. That worm eats through the stem, kills the plant, and then God arranges a scorching east wind to come in, and it withers up completely. Now he is so miserable, probably sunburned and aching. He's like, 
I wanted this place to be destroyed. It's not being destroyed. And now I'm mad because my plant died. He is so frustrated. And I look through this and it's like people say, well, how did God arrange all these things? God was always arranging things. Look through creation of, of what he did throughout the Old Testament, whether he arranged the Red Sea to part or whether he arranged quail to fly in for the children of Israel and manna or whether he arranged for the ravens to feed Elijah. God was always arranging, using his creation to help mankind. And he's doing the same thing here, but this time he's using creation to really help Jonah learn a lesson. And then he's, God looks at him and says, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah's like, yes, enough to die. <laughs> really? Uh, it wasn't even your plant. He sounds like a brat is what he sounds like. I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? He is more concerned over a plant than he is over people. Jonah allowed this silly thing like a plant to become an idol in his life. And some of us, we lose things in our lives. We do. And, and it makes us wonder sometimes if we treat things in our lives like a gourd. And when that thing in our life dies, we're like, I might as well just give up. Because that one thing in your life is gone. Maybe that one thing in your life has become a, an idol. And God was trying to help remove that so you were worshiping him, not it. How often, this guy by the name of, of Meyer... Uh, said this quote, how often are our gourds allowed to perish to teach us these deep lessons? In spite of all we can do to keep them green, their leaves turn more and more sere and yellow until they droop and die. God calls them on this. He says, you have pity for this plant in which you didn't do anything to make it grow. Nothing. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in the night, provided you shade, and it perished in the night. And, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there's 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, should I not pity them more than a plant? Jonah provides no answer to this. It's like crickets. It's like God is saying, how valuable are people to you? I created mankind in my image. Church, when we look around, everybody in this room, you are masterpieces. You are created with value by the God of this universe. You have incredible value. You know what respect is? Respect is looking at somebody and saying, you have value. And when we treat people wrong, when we talk bad about people, when we say mean things about people or make people feel bad, we are taking God's creation and devaluing it. That is sin. God says, there's 120,000 plus people i value and you're worried about a plant still crickets come on jonah say something jonah how about a third prayer how about a god you are right i've had such a bad attitude i've been pouting i'm negative i'm sorry god people do have more value than the things in my life and and you you god you are right you are full of compassion and mercy i've been judgmental i know these people are your enemy but if you want to show them mercy that's your choice god help me to have a heart of compassion for people because i obviously don't have one that'd be an okay prayer crickets nothing nothing these are the last words recorded in jonah's book and it's like well that stinks I mean, have you ever watched a movie, read a book, and you're reading, you get the last chapter, and you're like, okay, that's it? That's it? 
oh, come on, how about a two years later and then a really cool another chapter, right? Or well, then they change and nothing. Nothing. Someday maybe I'll go through and I'll read all the, the letters of, and the books of the Bible and see how they all concluded with every character and see which were positive and negative. And like Paul, Paul always writes with a, now go out there and fight the good fight. Okay, Paul. Jonah's like, I'm still mad at you, God. Okay, Jonah. It's sort of disappointing, right? The mercy of God is so great and the compassion of God is so incredible. And we look at the end of this book and you know what? Maybe that's why we don't have an ending. Because maybe it's not about what Jonah does, but maybe about what we do with it. Maybe we need to ask that question. Do I have a heart like God? We know what happened to Jonah, but what about us? When we read through this, we've, we've read about all these stories throughout this whole book. Mercy, God shows mercy, God shows mercy, God shows mercy. And at the end of the book, God's like, so do you have that mercy in you? I've shown you mercy. Are you ready to show mercy to others? Worship team, would you come forward, please? Jesus tells uh, a story. And you remember, if, if you read through um, the book of, of Luke, and he has a lot of stories. He tells one of the prodigal son. And he does this, I really believe, to demonstrate God's mercy and love. And so you got this, this prodigal son who lives wild, right? He gets his money from his dad the inheritance, and he goes off and he spends it living crazy like he makes a mess of his, of his life. And then he decides to come back. He's like, you know, I've really messed up. And he's like, he comes back to his father to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. And he comes back. And what does the father do? The father says, I love you. I forgive you. I hug, I'm going to hug you and kiss you. I'm going to give you a ring to put on your finger. I'm going to put a robe and a sandals on your feet. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party, right? And so the music starts, and the, the older brother, the older brother's like, hey, what's that music going on? And he calls up one of the other servants, and he says, hey, what's all the noise going on? He goes, your brother, your brother's back. You know, the one that ran off and made a mess of things? I know, you already know, right? right? And he goes, he was, we're celebrating because of his safe return. He's back. And the brother's mad. I mean, we all, you know, some of you, you have siblings, you know. And what if one of your siblings was just living crazy, dangerous, and they come back and they get it right? What's your attitude towards that? Well, this brother didn't like it. He goes to his dad and he goes, hey, all these years I've been a servant in your house and you've never given me anything. And when this son of yours, I love it, he never says my brother. And when my brother comes back, no, when this son of yours comes back, he makes a complete mess of things. He comes back, he comes up the road and you do all these incredible lavish things for him and you kill the calf and now we're going to have a party. Explain that to me, please, Father. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes? God, why are you showing these people mercy? Ultimately, divine grace and mercy towards sinners cannot be understood. If you figure that one out, please come tell me. It doesn't have to have a reason. It just simply reflects the way God is. God is full of mercy and grace. And he shows that over and over. Now he says, do you, church, have a heart like that? Are you ready to show other people mercy? Are you ready to show other people grace? Would you stand, please? This is a good time to sort of self-reflect on the degree of how we show compassion to others. 
We sang that song, Lord, show me, fill me. So, you know what? So we can go out to those around me. Um, dude, do we really mean that when we sang that? Or are we more concerned about our jobs and things and this and that than we are about the things that God's concerned about? We've learned as we've read through this book that God is a God of second chances. He gives us incredible divine assignments. We have learned that God shows mercy. And, and we have to ask ourselves, now can we do the same? Can we show others mercy and grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who is full of mercy and compassion. And I thank you, God, that we can, we can come to you with our attitudes as negative and as bad as they may be at times. And we can confess those to you. God, I pray that we are honest with you, but that we don't sit in silence after you confront us with what's going on, that we actually respond back and seek forgiveness and get it right. God, it's so easy for us to look around this world today and say that person doesn't deserve a break. That person doesn't deserve that or this. Who are we to judge? God, we don't deserve what you've given us. So we say, God, thank you for the grace and mercy you give us. Thank you for the forgiveness you offer. God, when you say to come to you, we do need to come to you and give you our burdens and ask for forgiveness. We do need to admit that there is no other name through which we are saved in the name of Jesus Christ. We must confess that and seek forgiveness. And then, God, we ask that you become the Lord of our life. Help us to live in a way that honors you. And part of that living for you means showing mercy to others and grace to others as you have shown us grace and mercy. God, show us how. Because for some people, it looks like it's probably going to be impossible but you are a God of the impossible. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for our time to worship you now, Lord. We want to sing to you and give you all the praise and all the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.